I've been expecting you. The American girl. I knew you'd come. You want to kill me? You want to kill Elena Marcus? <laughs> you wanted to kill me? You wanted to kill me? <laughs> what are you going to do now, huh? Now, huh? <laughs> now death is coming for you. <laughs> you wanted to kill Elena Marcus. <laughs> Hell is behind that door. You're going to meet death now. <laughs> the living dead! Oh, you want to play psycho killer? Can I be the helpless victim? Okay, let's see. No, please don't kill me, Mr. Ghostface. I want to be in the sequel. I like to dissect girls. Did you know I'm utterly insane? Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. I am the eater of wolves and of children. You know, it's Halloween. I guess everyone's entitled to one good scare. Hello everyone and welcome to another terrifying installment of the greatest October in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 114, Suspiria. I have so many questions. I asked some of them before, actually just trying to get all the character names straight, but well, I I wouldn't say I have so many questions, but I'm definitely going to have some questions throughout. Okay. Well, I probably won't be able to answer them. It's fun, though. I just kind of like thinking about full disclosure. We have gotten a little bit ahead with these episodes. When people are hearing this, we'll be living in a world where we have seen A Star is Born. (laughs) It all comes back to that, yeah. (laughs) Isn't that weird? Right, yeah. Future Matt and Zach just like marking out over. (laughs) We'll, We'll have listened to like the full soundtrack a bunch of times at this point. And we will be rapidly approaching the new Suspiria, which is coming out in November. Wow, that'll be a big pre-order too. So this is an episode on the 1977 Dario Argento original. We're going to jump all into that. But first, as always, follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod, subscribe on iTunes, and just, you know, continue to... Enjoy the greatest October because it's really a highlight of the year. Certainly, it's my favorite time for sure. I can't think of anything better. Pumpkin spice, haunted houses, and greatest October. That's right. In your ear holes. People digging holes in their yards for like elaborate Halloween decorations. (laughs) Is that something that happens? I think so, yeah. Digging holes. Well, there's more to it. I don't know what the rest entails. Some sort of light, (laughs) maybe like, I don't know, wood somewhere. What? Building things. Yeah, okay. That sounds like a pretty scary yard. Yeah. So, Suspiria is kind of a different style. It's a pretty nuts movie, yeah, the way it's done. 
they kind of refer to these things as giallo or however you say it, you know, the Italian okay. thing, which I didn't really think this qualified because I was under the impression that those were like only the murder mystery Italian ones yeah. that aren't really horror movies. They just have horror levels of violence. It's weird, like the effects, gore. the effects at parts of it seem like almost like a cartoon, but not like it cartoony in the way that you would normally say like, oh that's kind of like doesn't look that great like it but i just mean kind of the weird like i don't know almost like pop-up effects it seems like like a pop-up book is yeah that no i'm kind of like thinking of it just seems like things from like an episode of scooby-doo or something <laughs> like glowing <laughs> eyes i don't know i yeah. don't know how to describe it in a way that doesn't sound like super cheesy but yeah i mean i think that some people Especially if the first time you see this movie is later in life or now in modern day when things are a lot different and presented a lot different. I do think that this movie and this genre and Argento's movies in general are are kind of polarizing. A lot of people hold them up as classics and, and cult classics, but those are the type of movies that sometimes certain audiences aren't going to appreciate on the same level as people that are like really into the whole scene. Oh yeah. Now I did I mean there's really nothing particularly scary no, in a, a modern way for yeah, it doesn't, for this movie. It doesn't feel scary, but it's definitely fun and there's definitely like some creepy vibes to it, but I think I did watch this movie once before in 2008 and I was into it, but it was just kind of one of those things haven't really had a lot of other opportunities to watch it over the past decade or so. I would say that Argento's movies, especially Suspiria, are in certain respects like a prototype for David Lynch's movies. There's a whole like dreamlike feel to it. I think in this movie in particular, it kind of plays on imagination run amok, dream logic, rumor and superstition, and then the paranoia of the main character. Right. Which in turn leaves us, the audience, with an unreliable narrative. So it's kind of... And really, like, I mean, going back to the David Lynch stuff, like, kind of like the, the sounds of the movie in general, not just, like, the sound effects, but also you know, the music, very driving of the pace. Yeah, this movie had an original score from the Italian prog rock band Goblin, which was oh, wow. created in collaboration with Argento himself. And it's... A pretty iconic horror yeah, it's pretty cool. soundtrack. It's pretty fun. It's all over the place, but yeah. It yeah, is there's fun. a lot of like cool, a lot of changes, weird songs, but they're like there's also whispering and oh, weird right. yelling yeah. and stuff and moaning and and different things like that that are a part of the soundtrack. Sometimes it's we it's were, hard to tell. Yeah, <laughs> if the characters can hear this or just the audience. Yeah, because it does get a little unclear if it's part of a soundtrack or if it's something we should be like paying attention to as if it's something that the characters are hearing and i don't know if you uh wrote this down in one of the various drafts of your notes for this episode but you mentioned it on i believe the uh coming attractions give us a second that we did where it has a very vibrant look to it as opposed to like this new movie coming out which has the very kind of more dull look to it but feels like a throwback still even though it's like not really like a throwback to the original of this movie. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk a we lot okay. about the color in this movie and the visuals. And Were we going to talk about the new movie at all, or did we already kind of... Um, we can okay, at the yeah. end, maybe. But yeah, it, it definitely seems like with the reimagining that they're doing that's coming out in just a couple of weeks, really, I think they chose to go in different directions and it probably is for the best because yeah. why try to recreate something that seemed different 
it, but in for the 77, one, but now would seem... It's such a cool thing, though. It looks nothing like the original one, but it does look like a movie from the 70s. Yeah, the new one is a period piece. It's right, okay. set in the 70s. Gotcha, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting choice. But, yeah, I mean, I could have written down all the different... yeah treatments they did to the film and like the different ways we don't need that yeah i mean i think it's better if we just talk about the end result rather than how they did it because nobody that listens to this cares yeah this isn't like how they created it blu-rays or whatever (laughs) r slash blu-rays yeah i don't think that's a thing right okay so suspiria was written by argento with his then i guess girlfriend i don't know daria nicolodi um, did she end up having like a lot of other writing credits outside of this post their uh i'm not really sure ending? but she she was in a lot of his movies okay too. Gotcha. she's not in this one though well te- i guess she kind of is but not really has an appearance the story kind of combined the occult themes that interested argento with the fairy tales that inspired nicolodi such as bluebeard pinocchio and alice's adventures in wonderland and for whatever reason, this particular movie was like the culmination of everything Argento had done as far as the visuals and using the primary colors to create like this very vivid, nightmarish world. Because all of his movies, especially in this era, are very, they pop off the screen. They're oh, very sure. like vibrant and stuff. But this is like a whole other level that they went to with this thing that kind of puts it in its own class as far as the visuals. The new Blu-ray release that I have of it looks unbelievable. Right. When you talk about just like fun filmmaking and making something that really kind of jumps out at you, this certainly hits the mark for that. Yeah, this is honestly one of the best-looking movies, I think, as far as just what it looks like because it's so different from anything else. I don't really know why yeah, this all came together right. for this particular story in was this particular this movie moment a hit yeah okay yeah, it yeah. was i mean it w- obviously it wasn't like a monster hit in the u.s because it's a foreign film and they had to record the sound separately and right. it's particularly confusing because not everybody in the movie was speaking the same language yes yes there's german people in it there's italian people in it and there's american people in it and they're all speaking different languages to each other and then they dub all of the audio in it's kind of a crazy it's very look. Fun. Yeah. But I mean it still was a pretty big hit internationally and then in the States as well. It did pretty well. And it's kind of grown in stature since. It's become kind of the cult classic. Yeah, the big Argento movie that people know. Mentioned in Juno. Yes. Even though it's kind of I mean, he did dabble in the occult and in supernatural stuff, but a lot of his movies are more about just like a, a guy killing women or whatever, well, which yeah. is what a lot of the Italian movies, that movies resonate are. with you. <laughs> I don't appreciate that. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it. Suspiria. Anything else before we start? No, here? come on. Let's get right into it. Okay, lots Su- to cover here. So come on. Susie Banyan, played by Jessica Harper, is a ballet student from New York City. She's arriving in Germany to attend the Tans Dance Academy in Freiburg. Yeah, seems like this place has like world renown or something. Acclaim. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to believe. This is like the most acclaimed dance academy in Europe, or at least one of them. Is this the craziest front for something of all time? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) what do you have to go through (laughs) to get? It just seems like you could get away with social network. They reveal that Harvard is actually a front for I don't know. 
warlocks or something. I mean, it is. Yeah. <laughs> the movie ends with Harford just like burning to the ground. It's something that we talk about a lot, but in a pre-internet age, I think the people coming There's a lot to this more academy mystery. aren't, they don't, nobody really knows anything. That's true. You yeah. can't just Google it. There's right. no way to. People aren't talking about it on Twitter. Yeah, you just hear about this school and it. people tell you it has this reputation and it's the best, but it's like, how do you know? That's true. It's a good point. Especially for these more niche things. You're not going to read in every newspaper all the time right. or whatever. I don't know. So, I mean, you don't know. Like, obviously, Susie arriving in Germany, she doesn't know the backstory of who founded this school and what the history of it is and all this stuff, which, you know, she finds out later. But For sure. Almost immediately in the movie, we see those trademark vibrant popping colors and we're kind of treated to this haunting, uneasy score that's repeating over and over. It's kind of the main theme of the movie. I think it's confusing from the beginning because it's just like a couple things happen pretty quick. Now, do you meet Susie first before you meet Pat, or is that kind of simultaneous? Well, Pat is leaving when she gets Okay, to the they, they cross paths like yeah. pretty right away. Yeah. Right. As she's leaving the airport, there's this ferocious rainstorm. And Susie's arrived dressed all in white, kind of like this virginal Okay, wow. The woman in white. I think that Argento, when he was describing what he was going for with his cinematographer, he wanted him to kind of emulate the color palette of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, like the original cartoon. Oh, wow. And I do think that Susie's kind of this fairy tale-like character, or at least she's presented as such. She's like always sleeping. (laughs) Well, yeah, yeah, being drugged to sleep is kind of a... It's a part of it. <laughs> I mean, it is not the crazy, movie. Your life. The stuff that goes on when you like rewatch like Sleeping Beauty and stuff or Snow White. It's like, true. this is kind of creepy. Right. But I mean, then again, everything. The was. prince is kissing her while she's sleeping. <laughs> yeah. Imagine. I think that's in poor taste. <laughs> <laughs> so she gets a cab. There's immediate communication issues, which isn't a huge theme in the movie, but I definitely think there's this fish out of water feel for Susie the entire time there's this displacement she's in a foreign land she's speaking English it seems like a lot of the people around her don't speak English well I don't know maybe well I just think that it adds to this element of like no I know but from the viewer perspective it seems like there's people speaking English right right I know but I just mean like the people in the town because the cab driver doesn't speak English he doesn't know what she's saying or whatever the trip to the school is kind of awesome. Those woods with the light from the car coming through the trees with the rain. It's kind of this awesome look to it. It yeah. definitely has that fairy tale forest look to it. For sure, yeah. Kind of interesting like, looking trees. I don't know. A lot of these parts, it just it's like a mystical rock show <laughs> with the music playing and everything. Yeah, the score is definitely like pulsating. It's yeah, like right. very loud. Yes. And we arrive finally at the academy. It's an imposing red building. And as you pointed out, Susie arrives. She encounters another student fleeing the academy at that very moment. We will find out later that this student's name is Pat. Yeah. This is an important scene. Frantically kind of trying to get out of there. She's standing in the doorway, Pat, and she's yelling something back into the school to someone we don't see. The audio here kind of drops out, so we don't know exactly what she's saying. And this it's like a lost of, in translation. Yeah, this scene will replay throughout the film right. and kind of be an important. What she says moment. is supposed to be a key piece of it. Right. 
And so Susie doesn't really know what's happening, but she sees this play out, and then Pat runs off. Susie tries the intercom, but whoever she's speaking to denies her entry, and so she's kind of just forced to leave. (laughs) That person on the other side of the intercom, really just not a great sport. Well, we find out who it is later. So Susie has to leave in the same cab, and as she's leaving, she sees Pat running through the woods, and it's like pouring rain. Now, that is weird. And I love how there's just no thought to be like, maybe we should... Oh, look at that poor girl out there. (laughs) Why is she running through the woods? (laughs) Nope. Well, it's just kind of like, like, I mean, you you get it, though. It's just like you drive by someone, you know, they're like changing a flat tire or something. And it's just like, oh, sucks for that person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I get it. It's funny in a movie, though, to see like the person that's supposed to be like this girl in distress. Yeah, yeah, she's just ignoring her. It's like, yeah, don't worry about it. Presumably, Susie goes to stay in a hotel. We never really get a full explanation as to where Susie goes. Yeah. She just goes somewhere. Meanwhile, though, Pat, who we're just kind of meeting now, goes to a friend's apartment in town. And this building is insane. It's symmetrical shapes and designs. It's something that, like, Wes Anderson would scorch his shorts over. I mean, it's bright colors jumping off the screen. Oh, yeah. Different shapes and designs. It's crazy. It's no one could actually live in a place that looks oh, this like this building it looks is like wild. a weird museum or right. something a huge like open i don't know what you call that center area but yeah like an en- like an entrance way like a lobby just like this giant lobby with the huge giant ceilings like multiple multiple stories up right it's just like this seems like way wasted space when you're talking about like a place that you're charging people to live at Yeah, I mean, it's definitely somewhere that was designed for aesthetic rather than practicality. There you go. Well said. (laughs) Some famous architect would have designed it, but, you know, not a businessman. True. Inside, we find out that Pat has been kicked out of school or at the very least left on bad terms. We're not really sure exactly what's going on. She's very jumpy and on edge and maybe withholding the whole story. I don't know. Her friend is kind Lot of left not mystery here. Yeah. super sympathetic. That's true. She's just like, who cares? Really not that interested. <laughs> this buildup to Pat's eventual murder is kind of indicative of what we're in for with Suspiria. It's kind of a, a horror total package here. We got this score from Goblin just kind of blaring at us. A lot of Driving you towards something. And it's creating a certain kind of vibe. And I think that's kind of what this movie is all about, is just a certain vibe. And you need to click in on that wavelength, or it's going to come off as kind of cheesy and outdated and weird. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I know there is like cheesy parts of it, and certainly some of the gore comes as cheesy. But I think it's just done in a way that it's like so cool. It doesn't feel cheesy to me. No, it doesn't to me, but I have seen... and. Granted, this I mean, is I get a, it. There's, this is a well-reviewed movie. Yeah. Most people love it, but right. I do think that some people kind of just can't embrace like, foreign films. They operate can't embrace on that older level. films. Yeah, and just kind of like these weird effects that certainly kind of don't look... You know, they definitely look like they're out of the past because they are. Yeah. And I this, mean, you see like furry arms and stuff, and people are like, eh, I don't know, man. I don't know if this is for me. So the scene here is kind of building this dread, and eventually when we get that jump scare in the bathroom. It actually feels like an earned jump scare because we've spent so much time building towards it. And as you pointed out, there's like glowing eyes outside the window, which I thought was funny because she's clearly freaked out by this window before the glowing eyes. Well, I mean, she's been freaked out the whole time. 
Right. But yeah, that, then it's important. It's like everything feels tense. She's on edge. The suspense has been building like this whole you just feel like we're heading somewhere bad. And then you get kind of in the character's perspective where she's in this bathroom or whatever. And like it just it, things feel off. And the character knows that things are off. Yeah. Right. Where does this head? Yeah, she's looking out the window, she sees the glowing eyes, and yet doesn't immediately run away from the window. Right. She's kind of just like, I can't really be seeing that. Like, yeah, yeah. It's almost like that kind of reaction. But it's like, what the fuck were you looking for? You <laughs> knew that something was going to be out there, then you saw it, and now you're still standing there. Yep. Eventually, an arm crashes through the window and grabs her. There's a knife. She's pulled out the window onto like the ledge outside the apartment. Yeah, this is quite a death, I will say. Yeah, it's one of the wildest scenes in the movie, and it's definitely the most violent scene in the movie because she ends up getting stabbed through the heart, and we actually see the knife going into like a oh, beating true. heart yeah, right. in her chest. We get like some sort of x-ray vision, it seems like. Yeah, and it's kind of the peak of the gore in this film. There's not really anything quite to this level yeah, in the rest in of your the face, movie. Like so this. it's kind of like we're going to start out with a bang. And eventually Pat is like hung by a noose and crashes through a stained glass sunroof. And what sunroof. ends up being kind of the luckiest from the villain's perspective move ever, a giant shard of glass happens to land on Pat's friend. Right, yeah. Pat's friend is running around trying to get other people's attention. She's like, my friend's being murdered and she can't get into the bathroom. <laughs> People are like, who cares? So eventually, I guess she just runs down all the way to the bottom level and she's coming out just as Pat is being thrown through this stained glass sunroof. Oh, my sun friend. Roof. Oh, no, a giant shard of glass. <laughs> And so Pat ends up dangling above the main lobby of the apartment building. There's blood everywhere. And yeah, Pat's friend somehow took a huge shard of glass to the face. And like other... Could not dodge it, even though that ceiling was miles above her. <laughs> she was just in shock. I get it. This is definitely like an Argento trademark, like somebody crashing through a window when they're being murdered. It is quite a display that this unknown killer is putting on in this moment. Pretty violently killing her, but then having to throw her so that she's hanging from the ceiling. <laughs> it wasn't enough to yeah. stab her in the right. heart a bunch yeah. of times. Well, you gotta, you know, put it out there for people. I think it's important to remember that in 1977, when this movie came out, I mean, you're not that far removed from things like this not being in movies at all. Well, that's true. Like, this is the directness of murder that is just still pretty new yeah. in the mid-70s. I mean... You start going back into the 60s, you're not seeing anything even close to this. That's true, Unless yeah. you're talking like really, really, really underground stuff. I mean, this is still pretty new and wild. And yeah, we're pretty used to it now. And you can, you know, it is true. I see guess a Lars Van like, Trier movie and it's oh, okay. a thousand Goodness times gracious, worse. But yeah. like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is pretty is crazy I mean, for 1977. It is weird. And I guess like you and I have watched like so much shit that it's hard to really feel shocked by anything anymore. But if, if you can think back in life to the times that you saw something in a movie for the first time that you're just like, Jesus, like that it really sticks with you. Like maybe that's what it was like back then for people seeing just these cold murders like this for the first time. I was telling you recently that for some reason, somehow... When I was pretty young, I caught a few scenes of the Toxic Avenger. Right, right. I don't even know how I saw this, but I just remember it didn't particularly scare me. Yeah. Because it's not like a scary movie. Well, it's yeah, more it's like, silly. Right. But 
it was disturbing. Just the casual, like, yeah, gross violence in it. Which now would look super fake to me, but yeah, yeah, I had never seen anything like it, well, yeah. and I was like upset by it. I mean, obviously, we talked about <laughs> it in the Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. I mean, as we've been watching these episodes, literally like the opposite of scary, but some of those episodes scared the shit out of me when I was a kid. <laughs> I can remember the first time I ever saw Requiem for a Dream or Kids. Like those movies, like really fucking shocked and disturbed me, <laughs> but in a way that I just don't feel like they would now. Like even if I saw them for the first time now. Yeah. Especially Requiem for a Dream, which is just boner material for me. Yeah, <laughs> when so, he gets his arm cut off. <laughs> Susie, back to Suspiria. Susie, okay. unaware of all of this, returns to the Academy the next morning. This kind of leads me to something that I think we can kind of bring up as we go and kind of discuss, but it's that idea of there's something wrong, whether it's like a feeling, a vibe, or whatever. And this is maybe the first time that Susie should kind of be tuned into that a little bit. Well, I would just say ballet, and in particular, a school for ballet, just seems scary to me. Maybe it's the black swan effect. (laughs) Any school that's just like a bunch of girls is scary to me. Right. Yes, exactly. (laughs) But, okay, so we know that something crazy happened when she first arrived, and then she wasn't let into the school even though she was supposedly expected so then she shows up the next morning and there's just a chaotic moment when Susie arrives because there's police around and Susie learns of Pat's murder and all of this is happening so this is like her second day now and the she's one like, lady well, like what? talking to the detectives is just like oh yeah she's just a new student here <laughs> the detectives like, yeah we're investigating a homicide of a girl that went here so, yeah, uh, Susie meets a bunch of people almost instantly. There's Miss Tanner, who's harsh, curt. She always is wearing a disturbing grin, but True. she has unsmiling yeah. eyes. It's just her know. teeth that right. are smiling, nothing else on her it face. It reminds me of someone from something, but I can't place it. I don't know what it is. She's got a very direct way about her that almost can like rub a people the wrong way. Willem Dafoe from Life Aquatic thing. <laughs> okay. Klaus. We also meet Madame Blanc, who is the vice directress of the Tans Dance Academy, and she's That's played right. by a woman named Joan Bennett, who probably is most well known for being in the original Dark Shadows TV series. Oh, okay. She's kind of like this other era actress almost kind of this throwback to how people were acting in like the 40s and 50s in movies because she's from like this other time just like yelling and singing i don't know it's just she just kind of carries herself in a way that's so interesting being put into this kind of movie like a giallo from italy kind of this whole slashery vibe with an occult feel and she's kind of just like plucked from a different time period and put in it the way she like delivers her lines and carries herself now, for those taking notes at home right now, she's the vice directress, as yes. you said. Which the, is, what a role that is. But it seems like she kind of runs the school day to day. We're not seeing anybody ahead of her. Because the person that we are referred to as the main directress, like the actual directress of the Academy, is MIA at the moment. And we'll get to that later. Maybe a very hands-off directress, we're thinking. <laughs> Something. So... As I said, Susie learns of Pat's murder. Madame Blanc says it was some madman. We also meet Albert, 
Madame Blanc's nephew who's just running around. He's some creepy looking kid. True. Yeah. What his whole involvement I, I kinda have some concerns slash questions about. He's just kind of living a dream though, right? I guess around so. with all these older babes. A and dream spandex or like just around. like an impossible nightmare. <laughs> well, yeah. Now imagine being one of these homicide detectives and discovering this scene though. Like of the deaths. I mean, it's like <laughs> wow. How did this guy pull this off? You know what I mean? Well, obviously, it'd be a depraved scene. Right. (laughs) But they're even just like, wow, he was even able to throw her through the glass roof in a way that it killed her friend by a, you know, piece of glass debris. (laughs) Tanner is kind of leading Susie around, and we meet Pavlos, who is this deaf guy. And Tanner says, he's really ugly, isn't he? Don't be afraid to say so. And I mean, Pavlos is an odd-looking character. For sure. He's very, like, tall. He's got, like, that weird look on teeth. his face. Yeah, something with his teeth. Tanner kinda says they're like, fake teeth, but I don't really know. Kind of looks know. like a James Bond uh, henchman or something from, like, a 70s movie. <laughs> yeah. He's just kind of, like, creeping around this place. I mean, yeah. you're just... How, like, relatable do you find it, though, when it's just like, yeah, you can say whatever you want about him. He can't hear you. Just like, oh boy, yeah. (laughs) He's really ugly, isn't he? (laughs) Just, you're asking for a world of trouble, though. You you have a creep like this going around at a ballet school where there's a lot of girls. Oh, I mean, and he is, I mean, he's a monster. And I don't even mean that, like, he's some horrible being. He's just big and scary. He is a horrible being. Okay, yeah. But yeah, I mean, he seemingly does have access to the girls' rooms at will. (laughs) <laughs> he can do whatever he wants. Yeah. yeah, we meet a couple of the other girls. There's Sarah, who will eventually become Susie's friend. We'll get to her more later. And then there's Olga. Olga. I mean, really, throughout the history of us doing this show, we've kind of pointed to a couple of potential just kind of spirit animals for the show. I feel like Olga also <laughs> kind of fits that. I don't know. I don't really know why. Well, just kind of always having to kind of gossip and trash everyone and everything at all times. <laughs> She is funny. Sometimes with these kind of movies that are made in other countries and then they're like dubbed in English and stuff, just the 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 way they they talk about some of these things is so funny because it's not how people. It it comes off as like very curt. Well, she just like has no problem trashing Pat, who everyone just found out was murdered. (laughs) But that's what I mean. That kind of reminds me of the show a little bit. So Olga lives in an apartment in town, and it's been arranged for Susie to live with her for $50 a week since Susie's room at the school is not ready yet. And Olga kind of has like this slinky sexuality. She kind of seems very like worldly. She's very chic. Yeah, but she's also very strange and immature and... I think it's kind of important to note that... I think my biggest disappointment in this movie is Olga's not in it more. She kind of fades out of the narrative. Yeah, she does. She's she's only like a brief part of the movie. But Suspiria was originally written to be all girls no older than 12. Wow. And Argento, like his financers, one of which was even his own dad, was just like... Bad yeah, idea. No, you can't do this because it's way too violent. This right. movie will never be approved. A bunch of 12-year-old girls getting brutally murdered. It makes some of the scenes make more sense if they're younger, I feel like. 
the script was not really changed at all. Right. Which okay. is so why some of the things it, okay. that the girls are yeah. saying seem kind of weird. Okay. Like the that part where sense. they're like sticking their tongues out each, <laughs> out well, each other. Well, even the part where they're all sleeping in the, the one big room together. Mm-hmm. That feels like it should be younger girls. I don't know. There's just something about the feel of that scene that I, I don't know. I can see the, the 12-year-olds thing fitting more. Yeah, possibly. And I think that they still tried to set up some of the scenes to make it seem like they're younger and smaller than they are kind of a thing. I don't know. It's kind of just like subtle flourishes to it. But I think it should be pointed out that the interior of this building, the school, continues to amaze. I mean, there's patterns on every wall. It's wild, colorful designs. (laughs) You are just like, where did you get that wallpaper? It's very like a visual treat. Yeah. And I mean, even when we see the interior of Olga's apartment, it's like a wild looking place that you would never see anywhere. Yeah. I guess people were just putting a lot of time into this stuff. Susie's trying to remember her brief interaction with Pat. Uh, She's trying to reconstruct how the event played out in her mind. Because obviously now that she's learned that Pat was murdered, there's more significance to this moment. This is true. Yes. So she's able to remember the word secret and the word irises as two things that Pat was saying, but she doesn't know what the context is. They're kind of just two little clues. So the next day... After I think only one night with Olga, Susie's room is ready, but she tells Madame Blanc that yeah, she would she prefer have to, to with... remain off campus. I thought she was supposed to live with Olga for like a, a while anyway. Okay, so okay, yes, yeah. you're right. So she only stays there one night, and then she comes in the next day, and they're like, yeah, your room's ready now. And she's okay, like, well, I'd right. rather just stay with Olga because I've already moved in there. Yeah, and and moving sucks. There's always this like passive aggressive pushiness from Tanner and Blank that keeps Susie on edge, but I think that this whole ruse with the rooms and her room not being ready and having her move in one place and then telling her that her room's ready to have her oh, I think this, this is, is all to keep by design. Yeah, I think it's to keep her and like new students off balance. I think it's just some cuz there's really no other point to this that I could see yeah. other than it's kind of playing into that fish out of water thing where like I mean, Susie is never comfortable in her surroundings. Well, that's They just true. keep her yeah. doing all this different stuff, and it's a distraction. Well, what's Olga's role in all of this? Unclear. Yeah. I do think when we get to the final reveal, I, I still have, like, they never explicitly show it, and we never find out for sure, but it does feel like some of the students might be in on this, too. It feels I don't like they know have that, to though. be. I don't know. I mean... I don't know. Yeah, you would I, think there would be though that reveal, but it never. That's comes, true. So I, I don't know. A, yeah, but to, to make sense in the universe that they've created, I don't know. It just seems weird that like there wouldn't be more students banding together, like figuring out that something is awry here. Well, they get killed one by one when they do. By the way, does this movie have like a little bit of a Lords of Salem feel? No. So, <laughs> <laughs> Susie has like this weird hallway encounter. I believe this is just her second day there, and it's with this like random, creepy woman who's with Albert. And I believe this woman is really kind of like a custodian slash cook at this school, and likely Madame Blanc's sister because she seems to be Albert's mother. That's quite a family. And we know that Albert is Madame Blanc's nephew. Yeah. So I'm assuming that this kind of creepy woman is. Madame Blanc's sister, maybe. There's like that gold dust like floating around, and like Susie's kind of just like 
freaking out or yeah, something. Like, we don't well, really know what's going on, but something's happening, and they're like kind of pointing some metallic object at her or something. And <laughs> she's kind of like fainting <laughs> against the door. It's just like at what point? That's kind of like one of the recurring discussions on this show, where it's just like the movie goes on, and you're like, at what point? But I mean. You could say that how many probably times? 300 times. I've already said it once. This is the second time. Yeah, we're just like, right. why? Wh- what do you? What is, would it take for you to want to leave? It just, it's like something is off here. So shortly after, Susie grows weak and faints in class, and she's bleeding from her nose and mouth, which seems pretty serious. That's true. Yeah. And I mean, bleeding from the mouth. What does that imply? Gingivitis. I know. I mean, I think it's like internal bleeding. She's like coughing up blood yeah i mean i I don't think it's a cut in her mouth (laughs) i I don't think so either i don't know maybe she bit her tongue when she passed out but still it just seems weird that there'd be so much blood coming out of the holes in her face i would agree well stated (laughs) (laughs) she awakens though to discover that she's been moved into a dorm room pretty much against her will and this is like a super gaslighting moment here when she wakes up and she's like Wait, I've been moved into the storm, and Madame Blanc is just like, Yes, isn't it wonderful? Olga found out that you passed out, and she immediately brought your things here. And she she gave me the $50 that you gave her, and she didn't take one penny of it. Isn't that wonderful? Like she's Olga, just any chance to get her own apartment back. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, they never really get into what Olga's role in all this is, which makes you kind of question it. It seems like this has all kind of been worked out in advance. Like, this was all a plan right. to it do this. It is just, like, such a weird shakeup because when you're watching the movie, it feels like it's kind of a big deal, the fact that she's not going to be, like, living at the school at first. Like, it, it just seems weird. Oh, yeah, we don't have room for you. Like, you're a new student, but, yeah, you got to go live with this. old. And, like, it's it feels like that's a part of the story. Like, she's moving in with Olga. And then that's over so quick. Yeah. They brought in, like, this dude. He's, like, this super legit-seeming doctor. <laughs> Who see, everything That's, like, he what says the certification says is the on most questionable. Wall. It's, like, I think I could make super up legit. better-sounding medical terms and advice. <laughs> He's just, like, yeah, she's out of practice from dancing, which caused her ligatures to tear, which is why she was bleeding from the mouth. Oh, right. And it's, then like, it's a, what? That's the diagnosis. Here's the prognosis in my prescription. One glass of wine per night... Yeah, he pushes the stay on campus narrative and he also prescribes special bland meals that will end up being brought to her by Pavlos and a daily intake of red wine. Right, which I've wrote myself some prescriptions. (laughs) One positive, though, is that Susie's been moved in next to Sarah in like adjoining rooms and Sarah kind of turns out to be one of the MVPs of the movie in a way. Well, she has a brief run as an MVP and then... Yeah, Almost well, she's like LVP. my favorite looking person in the movie. Which so. counts for something. <laughs> One of the next things that happens, though, is these fucking maggots that fall out of the ceiling. <laughs> it's super gross. That is gross, yeah. That it, would be one of those things, I know, and again, that's kind of like one of those, at what point, but it's just like, now it's a different question. It's like, the question isn't like, at what point do you decide to leave this school? It's like, at what point are you ever going to be okay again? Maggots like falling out of the ceiling into your hair and everything. I, I, I would just never recover from that. They're in Susie's hair and like in between like the bristles on her comb and shit. It's the whole floor that is affected by this, we find out. And it's just like the amount of maggots that that would be is staggering. It's a staggering amount <laughs> it of is, maggots. That's true. And, and it, they're coming through the ceiling somehow, which means they're like getting in between floorboards and. 
the idea is that they've, I don't know, that they've been there for a long time and now it's just boiling over the, to the part that they're coming through the cracks. Well, the whole thing presented by Madame Blanc is that oh, there's spoiled, there spoiled food, food in, the, in attic. the attic. It's like, why are they keeping food in the attic? Oh, what a whoopsie that was. Yeah, this whole thing seems very strange. I don't really know. I think that's the fun part of Suspiria, though, is you're not really sure why a lot of this stuff happens, but you can kind of maybe connect things together and be like, okay, they wanted to get all of the girls into this one room for something that we don't know. Yeah. Some event happened here that we're not clear on, I think, is maybe what's happening. It is such a weird thing, though. It's like... Imagine at a college campus or something, like in a dorm, like all of a sudden they're just like, oh, there's maggots falling from the ceiling on everyone. And like the solution is, well, everyone's going to all sleep in one room <laughs> while we clean this up. When I went to Pitt, it's like, yeah, all the these maggots came through. So you all, we're, we're setting up a big dorm room in the Peterson Event Center on the basketball <laughs> court. <laughs> yeah, that you have right. to sleep in. Right. So, yeah, Madame Blanc has this makeshift arrangement that they're going to turn one of the practice halls into this dormitory. And Blanc says, one night, we'll all sleep together. So the idea here is that the teachers are going to be sleeping on like the other side of this sheet. Interesting. I mean, it, it brings up a conversation because you're like, wait, the teachers don't live off campus? We're told that they do. Right. But for some reason, they are going to stay there this night. It's because, a, I guess, in an act of, of solidarity... <laughs> Because yeah. of the maggots? It's, yeah, it's know. kind of a collective experience here. That's why I think that this was like set up for some reason that we're never told. Like We never figure out why they need to do this, well, even, but this is part of something that we don't understand. Well, the big part of this scene, I kind of don't really get why it's happening within the logic of the movie. That's what I mean. Yeah, I think right. there's something at play that we don't get, but who knows? This scene is kind of, it, for as weird as it is, it looks fucking cool. It's bathed it is, in yeah. red light this red glow and the there's pace all these of it and like uh what's her face sarah like telling the story and like describing what's going on yeah like there's these haunting sighs and moans and it leads into sarah telling the story because we hear like this whistle snoring it's a very distinctive sound it's a right. very distinctive snore and sarah ids this as the directress the one that's been missing we haven't seen yeah we don't know she's just for some reason it's as if she's sleeping on a cot just on the other side of a little, whatever they call those things, like a fake wall that's been put up. It's like it's a basically sheet. a sheet right, hung yeah. from the ceiling. Yes. Yeah. And I think it's funny because she does eventually explain why she would know what the director's snoring is like. But I was like, <laughs> at first, you're like, wait, how is she recognizing Sarah, this? Sarah, what have you been up to? So this is all despite the fact that the director's is not supposed to return to the school for weeks and is really kind of this unseen, unknown presence to this point in the movie but i do think that it's kind of interesting to note Susie's reaction to sarah's story here because Susie's eyes keep getting like bigger and she's clearly frightened well i will say this it might not even be the content of the story but the way that sarah's telling it yeah i think it's like sarah's (laughs) convincing her that this is something that's weird because on the surface you're not entirely sure why this is supposed to be scary or weird yeah other than the most weirdest thing is that your friend at the school recognizes somebody's snoring. Well, and like the head honcho woman from the school who has been nowhere to be seen is just for some reason sleeping on the other side of you now. Yeah, she's just come into the school and sheet during this maggot between, right. thing and is just like, I'm going to sleep in the gym or yeah. whatever. <laughs> right. I don't know. 
that kind of plays into just the unsettling feel of the movie. Where Agreed. You're like, I'm yeah. not sure like, why where certain did this things come are happening. From? That's what it feels like. Yeah. So the next day, things kind of get taken up to yet another notch when Daniel, a blind piano player employed at the academy, is unceremoniously fired when his guide dog supposedly bites little Albert. A scene that we never actually see and we never see proof of the bite, although we do hear the boy cry out when it cuts away, but like we That's don't true. really see what this happens. This is sort of a, it feels like a weird kind of departure from the main story. Sometimes it's just like, all right, well, we need to have... We need like a random We need to have death. more kills yeah. to kind of amp up the scariness. So basically, it's like this awkward scene between Daniel and Tanner. And, you know, Tanner with her big teeth and her big crazy smile is like yelling at him and... I don't know. It's just like she's yelling at this blind guy and then she takes his coat and his like walking stick and just throws it in the middle of the room. That's right. I don't know. At what point would you just be like, this is just too weird. It is. I mean, we had all these maggots falling through the ceiling. A girl was murdered my first night here and I saw her fleeing from the school. I passed out with blood coming from my nose and mouth. And now like they're doing all this weird shit with moving me in an apartment and then out of the apartment back into the school and... I don't know. I think this might be the last straw. Them thro- flinging a blind guy's stuff and get- telling him he's fired. Yeah, it is a little bit over the top. Susie and Sarah are hanging out later after dinner, and Susie is super drowsy. And well, clearly, we don't know what's been getting put in that wine. Yeah, Pavlos is like he's dropping the wine off, isn't he, or something? Well, or he brings the food. Stuff. Yeah, okay, the food. Yeah, clearly, Susie's being drugged. You don't really get this confirmed at all but i mean eventually you kind of make that assumption later but i mean to me it's pretty obvious almost immediately that that's adora's medicine (laughs) yeah despite the fact that Susie's super drowsy and clearly out of it during this time with sarah she is able to make an observation though it has been said that all of the teachers at the school leave at 9 30 every day and return home to their own apartments in town. However, Susie is able to notice that when they are supposedly leaving, the sound of their footsteps indicates they are walking in the opposite direction from the front door. It sounds like they're actually going somewhere deeper inside the school. And Sarah's just like, well, Susie, if they don't leave, where do they go? Suspicious. And I'm just like, these dumbass bitches. Like, <laughs> it's just like, I don't even understand. They're so convinced that something weird is happening, yet... They don't seemingly do anything about it, and Sarah never noticed that the footsteps weren't going to the front door. She just took their word I mean, she's been on the trail for a while. Yeah, I mean, I'm basing this kind of assessment of them on stuff that we'll find out later, but it just seems crazy to me that they know for a fact that Pat was murdered. But it just seems like enough weird stuff has happened where well, they're just Sarah like. Well, in particular, though, because she has real, she is like kind of revealing. Oh yeah, I've been onto this for a while. Like, I was in. <laughs> but somehow I didn't know what direction they were going <laughs> I know, or whatever. That's what I mean. Yeah. I don't know. So as Susie passes out, Sarah decides that she's going to count the steps. Elsewhere, out in the night, Daniel's crossing a vast, deserted plaza. Well, it with is one of those things dog. when they are talking though that Susie keeps falling asleep, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sarah's just like so annoyed. It's like, I'm trying to tell you this. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a recurring thing right. over the next couple of nights. So elsewhere out in the night, Daniel's crossing a vast deserted plaza with his guide dog. Both seem to sense a strange presence and they kind of just stop in the middle. And it's like this kind of insane moment where they 
sense something is wrong and something is there, but that you know he's blind and the dog is freaking out. I just love those far away shots that they yeah. have here. He's so it's like, like the sprawling courtyard. Yeah, he's just like isolated and alone. I mean, it's just so empty and lonely feeling, and yet there's something clearly wrong because the dog is freaking out, and Daniel's like, "Who's there?" And something starts flying around him. You really kind of just see shadows. I mean, it's mostly unseen. And it eventually just ends with the guide dog... Biting the shit out of his neck? Yeah, but he almost, like, stops freaking out first. That's what's weird about it. It's like the guide dog just suddenly just stops barking and freaking out. And then all of a sudden just jumps up and rips his throat out. Right. It's so, like, out of the blue. Yeah, man's best friend. (laughs) Word of Daniel's death reaches the girls. And this is the last time we even get anything from Olga. Because Olga, of course, has to talk some shit on Daniel. (laughs) She's like, oh, wait, somebody died? Let me bury them even more. Eventually, though, she's like, maybe there's a hex on the place. But, yeah, I mean, her cavalier attitude is kind of hilarious. Yeah, (laughs) she's a a fun one. You really don't ever even see her, though, again. That's true. This This is kind of it for Olga. Susie, understandably, is freaked, but yet still not enough reason to flee, I guess, now that she's learned of yet another mysterious death. She goes and tells Madame Blanc about remembering the words secret and irises. And Madame Blanc makes, like, of course, like a big show, like, oh, this is so important. I'm going to call the police, you know, <laughs> oh boy. tell them this right away. What Susie's would the police like, take out of that? Nothing. Right. So Susie's like, hey, do we have any idea what who killed Pat yet? And Madame Blanc's like, no, but the police have some serious clues oh, or something yeah. like that. That is hilarious. <laughs> it's just like, what? That, that means nothing. That means they have nothing. It goes from uh, Madame Blanc's office to a pool scene. There's a pool in this school, I guess, somewhere. The school true. seems insanely oh, yeah, right. big. I mean, these are just some wild bathing suits that get rocked. <laughs> yeah. So it's Sarah and... Susie and they kind of wade out into the uh, middle of the pool and this is where we first learn fully like Sarah's alarm at this situation and that it may actually be more than Susie's because she reveals some things about Susie's first night in town which is that Pat was talking to Sarah right that's who Pat was talking to when she was fleeing the scene and that when Susie was talking into the intercom and trying to get into the school that she was talking to sarah and sarah was like go away (laughs) but it is weird because like yeah sarah kind of reveals a lot of these details about her investigation kind of it feels very confidently and as it goes on it seems like she's letting on that this is scarier than well it seems like pat was the one that was on to something right which she says pat knew that something they keep using the word absurd, which is kind of funny. <laughs> She's like, Pat knew something absurd was happening and that she was taking all these notes and she had all of this information. Uh, that's true, yeah. And that Pat confided in Some Sarah. Some serious clues were left behind. Yeah, Pat confided in Sarah and gave her these notes. And that Sarah has only told one other person, a man named Frank Mandel, who happens to be in town for a convention right at that moment. She happened to tell him while he was in town? I don't know. I took that I took that she told him on the phone. Or this something. is a confusing point for me because when she mentions Frank, I feel like the way that she's describing it, it's like, yeah, Frank knows about it. It, it feels like they have a very personal relationship. 
well, Sarah's not being completely honest here about what their relationship is, because as we'll find out, Frank was actually her former psychiatrist, right? And not yes. really her friend. True. <laughs> but although you know, you've used that before, <laughs> my friend. <laughs> Yeah, so the uh, the idea here is that Pat was on to something big. Now Pat is dead, but Sarah supposedly has all these notes, and Sarah's kind of taken up the mantle for Pat. And Susie obviously has walked into the middle of this and now is kind of caught up in what the fuck is going on at this school. As people say. Later, drowsiness strikes again for Big Sue's. And they're up in the doses. Sarah comes in, and she's like, Pat's notes have been stolen. She's freaking out. She's like, don't fall asleep. But it's, you know, obviously it's too late now. It's like you and me trying to watch movies. <laughs> or do this podcast. True. Finally, Sarah drops the W word when she says, Susie, do you know anything about witches? But it's like, well, yeah, I do. They're fake, made-up things from books and old stories. But ultimately, it's too late, though, because Susie is completely out of it at this point. And as soon as she's out cold, the footsteps and whispering goes into full effect. And you're like, okay, things are closing in on Sarah here. Yeah, this is not looking good for her. She tries to flee, but someone unseen is pursuing her. It kind of is this big nighttime chase through the school building. There's this intense music. Again, She lives for like way longer than you think she's going to. Yeah, this kind of goes on for a while. There's like all this vibrant color and light. It's kind of this unreality. It's very dreamlike. Again, the music kind of like picking up. Oh, yeah. She runs up into the attic. There's a certain suspense and beauty to this scene, but nothing about the pursuit and the eventual murder of Sarah makes much sense to me. It's so crazy what happens. Like... She goes into the attic. She locks herself into this room. The person pursuing her uses a switchblade to open the lock, which takes forever. A ridiculous tactic, yeah. It's like, just go up. I don't know. Cannot like get this yeah, open. They're just like moving the, the switchblades so slow between like the door and the wall, and all they have to go, do is go up to push the lock up. The whole, but it just goes it, on forever. The assailant in this movie for the deaths, what is even going on? I don't know. It's, it's, what do you mean? Like, who is it? Right. I think it's probably Pavlos, that's, but it could be anybody. Yeah. I think that's the whole point is, like, it could be anybody. Okay. So then she ends up stacking these, like, suitcases and boxes to so go like, through a window, window which connects to another room. It feels like Legend of the Hidden Temple at this point. They're just going to, like, different chambers. <laughs> she can't put the three-piece monkey together. Why are there windows between rooms in this attic? Like, I don't know. Like, it's so weird. Well, this and, is, like, one of those theories, like, out of the... The Shining documentary. <laughs> so then she goes into this other room, which is an insane room. And I will say the way that this sequence plays out reminds me of something like at our old apartment when there was like that tiny hole in the ceiling and you like stood on a couch to like point to it and you like somehow it seemed like you got sucked up into the <laughs> ceiling and like a piece of it collapsed. That's the way I feel like when she's sinking into this, like it just doesn't make sense. Okay, so she goes into this other room, and it just seems like she comes out of one window, and there's a window on another side. So the only way to get into this room is two windows, which doesn't make any sense. And there's these weird tools on the wall. But in the middle, there's all of this, like, wire. And they're just storing, like, and it's like circles of wire. Yeah, it's all these, like, all this metal wire. It's not barbed wire, but it's just wire. And she falls into it and just gets tangled up it's in just it. Like, it's just like, it's like quicksand. Like, she keeps sinking <laughs> further into it. She can't get out of that fucking wire. 
And then she just gets her throat slit because she's a dumbass bitch right. who's stuck in this wire. Although it's, it's like, like it, what are you if it doing? Is Pavlos, it's like he's such a dolt, you would have think he would have gotten stuck in it this. It might not thing. be Pavlos. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Whoever it is. But I think Pavlos' whole thing is an act, though. I don't really think he's that guy. You but don't. I don't know. Yeah, who's to say? <laughs> Maybe he is. So the next morning, Tanner tells Susie that Sarah abruptly left in the middle of the night. And again, it's like Susie is suspicious, especially when she sees the state of Sarah's room and how like fucked up it is. Because I guess they tore it apart looking for everything. Oh, right. And I don't know. She doesn't leave. But it's like, I guess, you know, what can she do? I mean, she's not really sure. I don't know. I mean, wouldn't the authorities be coming down more at this point? Like, okay, something is fucked up at this school. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. I mean, nobody has been murdered at the school. People are just, like, disappearing, though. Well, they're like, saying that she left and okay. that she went. All right. You know, it was Europe. She went back to a different country oh, that's where true. she's from. true. It was from. Europe, yeah. I mean, who's who's going to know the difference? Who's reporting this to the police? Well, yeah. That's one of the Clearly sad things Susie about doesn't. society. <laughs> yeah. She just accepts any explanation. All she can think to do is reach out to the friend Sarah mentioned, Frank Mandel. It turns out that Frank is actually Sarah's former psychiatrist. She goes and sees him. Frank drops all of this knowledge regarding the history of Tan's Academy. It he does formed, know a lot about it. Formed in 1895 by a Greek immigrant named Helena Marcos. All of the local people believed her to be a witch. She had a history of persecution even before ending up in Freeburg. Like She traveled all around Europe. Everyone always was like, you're a witch. <laughs> <laughs> what an existence. She was extremely wealthy and locally known as the Black you're Queen. You're a witch. <laughs> and then she died in a fire in 1905. But then he's like, I don't buy into the occult angle. And it's like, all right, well, why did you say all that stuff then? <laughs> it's like he had all this knowledge. And then he's like, yeah, but I don't believe it. Right. So instead, Mandel brings over his associate, Professor Milius, who's like this older guy. And one of the things he says is, I have known some women who are said to be witches. And I was just like, haven't we all, Milius? <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Unlike Mandel, Milius is into this witch shit. He says that Helena Marcos was a powerful witch with a tremendous talent for doing evil. Again, I think we can all relate. We've all known that. Oh, for sure. The Im most important nugget from all of this occult chit-chat is a coven of witches cannot survive without their queen. Interesting. We got some backstory on this Helena Marcos and the formation of this school, but that's the most important thing we learn is a coven of witches cannot survive without their queen. That's definitely like a different angle than you usually see with the witch stuff, I feel like. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Susie returns to the academy to find out all the other students are gone. The creepy custodian lady who she had that run-in earlier with tells her that Tanner got them all tickets for the opening of the Bolshoi, which is, you know, some Red Sparrow shit, like all the right. Russian wow. ballerinas. That's in nice, town, yeah. I guess. And this moment, I think, is kind of plays into that idea of the paranoia of the main character because it's like... She's Why kind wasn't of, I invited? Yeah, she kind of is on her own, and it's like... Was this set up intentionally for her to be on her own? She's delivered her dinner in a little bit, and she obviously has questions about that. So she's freaking out. All of these things have gone on, but it's kind of that whole thing. It's like, is this real or am I paranoid? Which is something that is a very real-life thing that people yeah. deal with. It's just like, it, it doesn't have to be a supernatural fear, but something could be happening in, in your life, and you're just like, I don't know if this is actually happening 
is it just I'm thinking that this is happening? Yeah, anytime that something good has happened to me in my life. <laughs> yeah, your paranoia the rare is moments. this seems fake. Yeah. I'm I'm about to be tricked. Right. <laughs> Someone's going to pull my pants down and make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> As they are wont to do. Susie tries to call Mandel, but the phone line dies mid-conversation because it's another rainy, stormy night, just like the night that she first arrived, which I think kind of is interesting because, you know, we've got a bit of I think a that's like an indication that things are kind of ramping up. Yep. In a brilliant move, Susie finally decides to skip out on the drugged food and wine. <laughs> She's like, you know what? It's kind of strange that I just pass out all of a sudden as soon as I eat my dinner every night. Maybe I should not eat this stuff. Yeah, that's true. After that, when she's like disposing of this food in the bathroom, there's this crazy bat attack scene, which doesn't look great. Is probably the most embarrassing moment of the movie because yeah. the bat is it just so looks clearly like fake. A fuzzball on like a wire that you can see. <laughs> and I don't really know what we're supposed to take from that. Like, what is this bat? Yeah, I don't know. I guess the witches are summoning it to fuck with her. I don't know. Fully alert at night for once, Susie hears those nightly footsteps that Sarah was obsessed with, and she decides to follow them. By counting the steps and retracing the direction she believed them to go, Susie ends up in Madame Blanc's office. She kind of quickly understands that the footsteps that Sarah and her were hearing That at part's night, weird to me because I, I am just like, it seems like they're going somewhere and I understand that there is more to it, but they couldn't even figure out that she was going back to her office? That yeah, seems I know. strange to me. I was thrown off by that too. The first time I saw this movie, I kind of forgot what Madame Blanc's office had looked like from like the one or two other times that you see it. And so I kind of just assumed this was a new room that she had never been in before. Okay, right. And then when it like, you know, when it clicked, for me that this was like oh this is the same office we see earlier in the movie it is kind of strange you're right. like so that this part isn't even taking them to somewhere new no but she decides like she realizes the footsteps that they were hearing would die every night when they got to blanc's office because the floors are carpeted yeah and for some reason in this moment Susie is just now noticing she it out that there's irises on madame blanc's wall and there are three there's yellow blue and white and for a minute, Susie's not sure Something what to do. Something clicks here, though. She knows that there must be another way out of the room because she heard all of the footsteps heading there, but now the room is empty. And suddenly, she has a flash of memory. Pat, that first night in the thunderstorm, Susie can remember now what she was saying. And so we see the scene again, but now the volume is mostly restored. And we zoom in, like, real close on Pat's mouth <laughs> so we can actually, like, see the words... And we can hear them now. It's all revealed. The secret, I saw behind the door, three irises, turn the blue one. Kind of a weird way to put that out there. <laughs> well, she's in a panic. I get I it. Guess. Yeah, right. And she's trying to convey this information, I guess, to Sarah in that moment. Yeah. Sarah, I guess, never got all this. I don't know. I guess not. Or she didn't know what she was talking about, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I guess, to Sarah's credit, who would? <laughs> So Susie does just that. She turns the blue one on the wall and discovers a secret hidden hallway. So like this door opens up. It's a secret passage. It goes somewhere that no one, like the students, wouldn't have known about. And the walls in this hallway are this lush gold and black paint with all these words and written in just a plethora of different languages all over the place. Just screaming, turn around. <laughs> turn around. <laughs> So Susie goes down this hall, and eventually she ends up hiding behind some conveniently placed curtains. 
and she's able to spy on Tanner and Madame Blanc, who appear to be engaged in some sort of secret ceremony, while at the same time also plotting to kill Susie. (laughs) I know, I do like that they... They're like, that American girl! Right, why have they kind of taken her as such a threat? Well, she's the one that now is... She's figuring this stuff aware, out. yeah. It's a chain. I mean, it went from Pat right. to Sarah, now to Susie, and she's the one who's picked up on it. And I mean, pretty soon we're going to have to wipe out the whole population of the student body at this ballet school. Albert and Pavlos are also there in the mix. I mean, it seems it is, like I, no, it's, it's everybody employed by the school. The fact that Albert is there really kind of threw me off originally. <laughs> well, he's her nephew. I know. It just confirms. Yeah, he's a creepy-ass kid. Madame Blanc cries out at one point, Helena, give me power, which obviously is a reference to Helena Marcos. And we're just seeing like a kaleidoscope of colors changing with all of the thunderclaps and the flashes of lightning. Like every time it thunders, it's like just a kaleidoscope of colors changing. It's like this whole crazy visual thing. And we had been told that Pavlos was deaf, but very briefly here, we see Albert almost getting him to crouch down so that Albert can whisper something into Pavlos's ear. Right. As if he's not deaf, which makes you wonder then. It's if, kind of a subtle thing, but like a nice little touch there. Yeah, it, it makes you think that, okay, everything we know about Pavlos is a lie. Right. And they kind of set it up so that he can enter people's rooms and people will talk freely in front which of is him. A good lesson. Anytime anyone tells you that someone's deaf and you can say whatever you want, don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess on the plus side, we know that we can't offend a deaf person because they how would they be listening to this show? That's a good point. <laughs> Retreating, Susie stumbles into a room with Sarah's bloody corpse. Yeah, just a horrible retreat, really. Not This isn't well, quite the Well, she's like backing Alamo. up, yeah. and then she's like, oh shit, I'm in a different room now. And then, oh wait, there's my friend who's this dead. This is a bad room to and go it to. it looks like... The corpse has just been like nailed to the inside of a coffin or something. It's very strange. Yeah, it didn't it didn't work out great for Sarah. Poor, poor Sarah. Trying to avoid Pavlos, who now is looking for her. Because I'm wondering if Albert was whispering to Pavlos, like, oh, the girl was out in the hall. Go get her. I, I don't know. that's what almost seems like what happens because he whispers and then Pavlos is out just like looking for her. And Susie sneaks into yet another secret room. Yeah. And this is a bedroom, and in it, we hear that familiar whistle snoring, the same one that Sarah had recognized the night of the maggots. This is that lady that Sarah just would not shut up about. And in the bedroom, we see this iconic peacock statue, which is like been on various covers of the different DVDs and Blu-rays. And it's just one of like those cool things that's in this movie because it's something that you've never seen from anything else. It's just a crazy looking statue of a peacock. And I don't know, I guess she tries to leave, but then Pavlos is right there. So in a panic move, Susie ends up accidentally knocking the statue over. I was like, oh my gosh. And Susie, (laughs) get it together. She awakens the directress, this snoring person. And surprise, surprise, it's Helena Marcos. Here's something that I don't get. The directress was MIA for a few weeks. So it, impl- but she really wasn't. I think is the idea that she's been there the whole time. I know, but like, so people regularly see a directress at this school. I don't think so. Three weeks before this movie takes place, I, I, I mean, think she was still not there. The directress is always MIA. Well, the way that Susie was talking about her, though, 
I just got the impression that like no one has really seen her. Yeah. And they always probably come up with some excuse or right. they always make it so that they make it seem like she was there and like, oh, you must have just missed her. Like, okay, I don't right. know. Yep. It's a, uh, I, I don't okay. know. I mean, I don't think there was a lot of I can buy that. backstory put into that, but I mean, who knows? Helena, she reveals herself as Helena Marcos. That's how we know who that this is. That's and what we know. She has like a strange, grunty, gravelly way of oh, taunting. Yeah, she's scary, I would say. <laughs> right. <laughs> you thought you could kill me? You thought you could? It's like really weird. <laughs> and it's kind of this disembodied voice because you can't see a physical body. I will say that like in these build-up moments with Susie... Each and every frame of the movie is kind of a work of art in and of, a, of itself. It's just kind of her face, like with like that scared expression, with like the reddish background. Oh yeah, there's a lot of, going on here. It's just a kind of a crazy look. It's it's so unique, and I, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely don't understand like if even if you're like this movie's not scary and it's kind of like silly. Oh, you should certainly be able to from appreciate from a visual aspect. It's just so different looking from anything, right. really. Helena has got a special treat for Susie. Turns out to be zombie Sarah. Oh, no. With a knife coming into the room. And everything is closing in on Sarah. She doesn't know what to do. Susie. Susie, sorry. And just then, lightning strikes start illuminating the outline of Helena's body. Oh, that was convenient. So that Susie can tell where she is. So it's kind of like she's in the room, but... Somehow she's invisible. It has a very like predator feel. Oh yeah, like the movie Predator. That's right. <laughs> she's just kind of disguising she's like, herself and <laughs> putting mud all over herself. <laughs> Susie grabs one of the sharp metallic feathers from the broken peacock statue and stabs the outline of Helena in the neck, killing her and making her physical body appear. You are kind of a little bit like, oh, that's all it took. Yeah, it's kind of an <laughs> abrupt death. Right. This is the only time we see Helena Marcos, and she looks like this burned old lady. Like, she looks like a crispy old lady. And Crispy. According to Jessica Harper, who plays Susie, Dario Argento just kind of found this 90-year-old former prostitute from Rome and got her to be in the you're movie. Like, you're it. You're She's the girl. uncredited. You are my girl for this role. I'm not really sure if anyone... I'm sure some people, but it's not really widely known even who this was. It was just some random old lady. Well, she nailed the part. And... Helena's death also causes zombie Sarah to evaporate as well as a chain reaction of asphyxiation deaths among the rest of the Tans Academy faculty, all of the other witches, the coven, if you will. Yeah, yeah. And the whole building collapses in on itself and bursts into flames as Susie runs out and escapes just in time. And people would go on to say there used to be a ballet school there. (laughs) I don't know what happened. It just burned up. (laughs) Yeah. Not a whole lot of investigation went into that fire. <laughs> right. I think, like, yeah, a lot of the detectives that were investigating the murders just, like, closed the case after that. They're like, well, the school burnt down, I mean. <laughs> oh, you mean, like, the other murders? Right, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, they weren't going to figure it out anyway. That's true. They didn't really have serious clues. They were like, let's just go for a taste. That's pretty much the end of the movie, and I think it does kind of have that cool thing that we talk about a lot where they don't necessarily give you an explanation over every little single thing, and you just kind of have to click into that vibe. Like Take it, yeah, I mean, maybe come up with some of it on your own. Yeah, like that whole scene where they're staying in the uh, practice hall, all the girls together on like the little cots and stuff, right, right. and... You're like, well, what is the point of this other than to set up uh, the audience knowing 
what the snore sounds like. And I think it's just it's cool to let your imagination run that like they need all the girls together because they're doing some sort of spell or they're doing some sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Like, you know, we don't know what it is and we never know. Yeah. There's just all this secret witch stuff that we don't ever really get explained to us. Yeah, I mean, this is an awesome movie. If they, I mean, you actually had the opportunity to go see the original kind of in a a theater experience not too long ago. Yeah. I kind of wish I had done that. This would be pretty cool to see in a theater. If they did like this as like a classic movie night, I would definitely go. Yeah, I think the new one, we talked about it already on that Give Us a Second episode, but I think... They took, like, inspiration from it. Some of the character names are the same. I think some of the basic ideas are going to be the same, but it seems as if they're going in a different direction, more inspired by rather than just straight-up remake. True, right. But it looks like, yeah, I mean, it looks like this director took it, made it his own thing, but it's still going to be really fucking cool. Yeah, I think the original is, like, an hour and 40 minutes, and I think this new one is, like, two hours and 20 minutes. Oh, wow. A lot of, well, I guess we'll get some more backstory here. Who knows? The Sarah character's death is going to be like an hour and 20 minutes. <laughs> She's going to be tangled in that wire forever. <laughs> All right. So the greatest October in the history of forever just rolling on. We told you in advance that this was going to be a big month. Lots of episodes we still got a couple more planned That's true, for you yeah. so get ready we we're trying to make it a big one we talk about it all year long so this we're trying to deliver really just has a fascination now with october and halloween and just it's good it always pe- comes I and goes pe- really quick even when you're like in your fucking 40s now you're expected to dress up for halloween which to me is just completely embarrassing well but if it's a good costume no it's embarrassing <laughs> but like it it's just the way things are now. It's like people are obsessed with pumpkin spice and people are obsessed with fall foliage and I don't know. <laughs> foliage. People are getting like adults have multiple they don't even have just one Halloween costume, which is embarrassing enough. They have multiple Halloween costumes. And yeah. It's just like it's it's I crazy. Know. I enjoy the fall, I like everything about it. I do October too. October is a good month. Yeah, well that's why we're doing what we're doing. Right. So hopefully people are really enjoying horror movies. I enjoy them year-round, but this is the best time of year to get into It is, yes. So follow the show on Twitter, at GreatestPod. Subscribe on iTunes, and we will see you again soon with another episode.
Whoa, hold on, slow down, slow down. Slow down. It's getting late. I could use a drink. Let's take our time. It's okay with you? To stay, I mean. I, I think these uh, clothes could probably hold out for at least one more day. Maybe I ought to get another room. That would look sort of suspicious, wouldn't it? What I mean is, if you'd uh, feel more comfortable, uh, I could sleep in the car. Be better in this floor, anyway. Where do you want to sleep, Dr. Chalice? That's a dumb question, Miss Grimbridge. Treat, motherfucker. 